morning? Amen. Hope you'll be glad when you leave this morning. So, hope you smile at me the way you smiled at the kids and smiled at, at Bill. So, and keep this joy train going. So, all right, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Luke chapter 2 this morning. We're going to be in verses 8 through 11. And we are continuing our Christmas series called The Wonder of Christmas. And so far, we have discovered that Jesus is the wonder of Christmas because he is our hope. And last week, we discovered Jesus is the wonder of Christmas because when he was born, love was born. As a song we just sang, Jesus was God's love song to us. But this morning, we're going to see that Jesus is the wonder of Christmas because he is our great joy. There is a family during the Great Depression that was unable to afford anything but the bare necessities. And one day the news came that the circus was coming to town. And tickets for the circus cost one dollar. Wouldn't that be great today? But the little boy, he came running home and he was excited and he was eager to get his money from his dad. But regretfully the father told his son that he could not provide him with that much money. But he said, if you go out and you work odd jobs and make as much money as you can, then, then I will match what you make. So the boy worked hard, and just a few days before the circus came to town, he discovered he had just enough, including what his dad was willing to contribute. So he took the money, he went to town, and he bought his ticket for the circus. The day the circus came to town, he grabbed his ticket, he rushed to Main Street, and he stood on the curb as the circus parade went by. He was so excited to, to watch the clowns and the elephants and the performers come by. And a clown came dancing over to him, and the boy put his ticket in the clown's hand. And he eagerly and excitedly watched as the rest of the parade went by. After the parade, the boy rushed home, and he told his father he had been to the circus and how much fun he had and what a great time he had and all that he had seen. The father was surprised that the boy was home so soon, and he asked him to describe the circus. The boy told of the parade that went down Main Street. He told of giving his ticket to the clown. The father sadly took his son in his arms and said, Son, you didn't see the circus. All you saw was the parade. I'm afraid to say that what has happened to many people during the Christmas season is the same thing. They get caught up in the parade of Christmas. They get caught up in the lights and the decorations and the shopping and the parties and the gifts and the songs and the carols. But they miss the main event. They miss the true joy of Christmas. They miss the great joy of Christmas, Jesus. You see, joy is probably the greatest single word that describes Christmas and the Christian life in general. In Scripture, the words joy and joyful or rejoice appear over 400 times. Joy is a major theme in the Word of God. And if it's a major theme in the Word of God, it should be a major theme in our lives as well. And joy comes from the Greek word kara and appears 59 times in the New Testament. The verb kero appears 74 times and it's often used as imperative. And the implication is that we as Christians are commanded to rejoice. And as Bill said, we as Christians should be the happiest people and the most joyful people on earth. And if you as a Christian aren't joyful, then you as a Christian have a problem. Because we have every reason to have joy, and that reason is Jesus Christ. 
And the Christmas story is full of joy. You start in Luke chapter 1 with the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth when they're told about John the Baptist. Scripture says, He will be a joy to you, and many will rejoice at his birth. In Elizabeth's womb in Luke 1.41, it says that John the Baptist leaps up with joy. When the angel Gabriel appeared to Mary in Luke 1.28, he told her, Rejoice, be full of joy. Mary, the Lord is with you. In Luke 1.46, in Mary's song, Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Many Christmas carols focus on joy. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. O come, all ye faithful, joyful and triumphant. And hark the herald angels sing, it says, Joyful all ye nations rise. There's a Christmas carol, Good Christian men rejoice. Then there's O come, O come, Emmanuel. And it says, Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. The sights, the sounds, the songs of Christmas are full of joy. And when you think of Christmas, you can't help but think of joy. You know, and it's great to come to church and sing about joy. It's great to walk through the stores and hear the songs of joy. It's great to see people full of joy. It's great to watch Christmas movies that brings joy to our hearts and smiles to our faces. It's great to enjoy the Christmas lights and the decorations. It's, it's fun to go to Christmas parties. Maybe too much fun. But what happens when the decorations and the Christmas gatherings and the shopping and the songs and the gifts disappear? Will you have the same joy then as you do now? Like the writers of the Christmas carols, we need to understand the only reason we can have joy is because of Jesus. Apart from Jesus, there is no real joy. And this morning, we're going to look at part of the Christmas story. As we go through this message this morning, I want you to understand what joy is and why Jesus is our great joy. So let's read Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 11 this morning. This is after Mary and Joseph had come to Bethlehem and and they couldn't find any room in the inn, so they found a place and, and probably a cave that, that housed animals. And it says this in verse 8. In the same region, shepherds were staying out in the fields and keeping watch at night over their flock. An angel of the Lord stood before them. The glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Today a Savior who is Messiah, the Lord, was born for you in the city of David. Verse 12, this, baby, this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in cloth and lying in a manger. In verse 10 it says, The angel appears to the shepherd and said, Do not be afraid, I bring you good news of great joy. The word great is the Greek word mega. You know, we hear of mega malls and mega stores and, and all these other words, uh, phrases that start with mega. And that means great. But the good news of Christmas is mega joy. It's great joy because of Jesus. And I want to share with you four reasons this morning of why the coming of Jesus is good news of great joy. The first thing is this. The coming of Jesus is news of great joy because He is the fulfillment of great promises. 
Jesus is the fulfillment of great promises. The angel said, I bring you good news of great joy today. A Savior was born for you in the city of David. Good news is only good news if it is true news. If I told you that you were the winner of gas and meals for a lifetime, that would sound great. You would be excited. You would be full of joy, especially with the price of groceries and gas today. But then if I told you I was only kidding, you would probably kill me, and the news I told you would not be so good. But in case you haven't noticed, we live in a world full of fake news. You know, one of my favorite Christmas movies is Elf. And I watched it just the other night. Didn't have anything else to do. It was on, so I watched it. And Buddy the Elf, who was working at the department store Gimbrels, he told the Santa who was working there, since he wasn't from the North Pole, he told him this, You sit on a throne of lies. Then he said, You're a fake. You know, there is truth to this, state, this statement. Our world system is built on a throne of lies. But the Word of God is not built on a throne of lies. It is built on the throne of truth. And if Jesus Christ being born as the promised Messiah, the Savior is fake news, if it's just another story that brings us good feelings each year, it is terrible news. And we need to quit celebrating Christmas. Because what's the point of celebrating Christmas if the purpose of Christmas does not exist? But I thank God that His Word is not fake news. I thank God that His Word is good news and His Word is trustworthy news. And the passage we just read says Jesus was born. And since it's in God's Word, since God says Jesus was born, it is true and we must believe it. Before Luke wrote the gospel that bears His name, under the leadership of the Holy Spirit, Luke made sure that what he was writing was true. In Luke 1.3 it says that he carefully investigated everything that he was about to write about. You see, Luke's gospel was not only the result of the Holy Spirit, it was the result of thorough research. And most scholars believe that Mary, the mother of Jesus, was a direct source of information in the story of Jesus' birth that Luke wrote in his gospel. Why would Mary be an eyewitness? Why would Luke go to Mary and ask for her information? Because she was closer to the events than anyone else. And the witness of the shepherds, it confirms the historicity of the events surrounding the birth of Jesus. There was no reason for the shepherds to lie about seeing the angels, to lie about finding the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger in Bethlehem. You know, if the shepherds were going to make up the story, I think the details probably would have been different. Probably the setting would be Jerusalem instead of Bethlehem. It'd probably be a palace instead of a cave. But the shepherds reported it as they saw it. And the birth of Jesus is also confirmed by the fulfillment of over 300 Old Testament prophecies. Hank Hanegraaff, known as the Bible Answer Man, in his Christmas devotional called The Heart of Christmas, he said this. He said, over the years I've discovered time and time again that messianic prophecy is the golden key that unlocks the hearts of even hard-boiled skeptics. What does he mean by that? The odds of one man fulfilling just eight of the 300 prophecies is 10 to the 17th. 
That is one in ten quadrillion, or one in a quadrillion. One man fulfilling 48 prophecies is 10 to the 157th. I have no idea what that number is. The odds of fulfilling all 300 prophecies is incomprehensible. But this is exactly what Jesus did. Let me give you a short list of eight prophecies that Jesus fulfilled. I won't read all 300 this morning, but just eight. Scripture says in Micah 5, 2, he's to be born in Bethlehem. Isaiah 14 says he's to be born of a virgin. Zechariah 11, 12, and 13 says he's to be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. Psalms 22, 18 says that his clothes would be gambled away. Psalm 22, 16 says his hands and feet would be pierced. Psalms 34, 20 says his bones would be not broken. Isaiah 11 and Isaiah 37, 31 says the Messiah would be born of the tribe of Judah and the lineage of David. Hosea 11, 1 says the Messiah would be called from Egypt. Isaiah 53, 9 says the Messiah would be buried in a rich man's grave. To try to put the odds of Jesus fulfilling just these eight prophecies in perspective, consider this illustration. And you have made, heard this, may have heard this before, but I think this shows us how improbable it was that Jesus was able to do what he did. Suppose we filled the entire state of Texas with 100 quadrillion silver dollars. That would make the entire state two feet deep in coins. Then let's say we just mark one coin. And then we stir up the state of Texas full of coins so they are thoroughly mixed and they are random. And the marked coin could be anywhere in the state that is two feet deep in coins. And then we blindfold the man and let him travel the entire state to choose one random coin. What would the odds be of that man finding the marked coin in one try? The same odds of Jesus fulfilling all eight of these prophecies. You see, if Jesus fulfilled all these prophecies, which he did, and he was the only one who could do so. If the events of his birth, life, death, and resurrection are corroborated by hundreds of reliable eyewitnesses, which they were, then the birth of Jesus is more than a nice story. It is not fake news. It is true news. It is good news. And because the birth of Jesus is good news and it is true news, it brings us great joy. Second thing I want to point out, the coming of Jesus brings us great joy because he comes from a great source. Jesus comes from a great source. Jesus is a unique person. In verse 11, the angel says to the shepherds, Today a Savior who is Messiah the Lord was born for you in the city of David. The angel called Jesus Savior, Christ, or Messiah the Lord. And Christ is not the last name of Jesus. Christ is Christos, it's Greek for the anointed one. In Hebrew, Jesus is the Messiah. This means that God the Father sent and anointed Jesus to fulfill his mission to bring salvation to the world. You see, Jesus in the New Testament is the promised Messiah in the Old Testament. And only Jesus, the one who saves, can reconcile people to God through his life, through his death, and through his resurrection. And not only did they call him Christ, the angel called him the anointed one. Christ the Lord. 
You see, Christ the Lord, it denotes sovereignty. Christ the Lord, it denotes a divine relationship. The angel is saying that the Savior born in Bethlehem is God in human flesh. And not only is Jesus from God, because He is called the Lord, He is God. You see, if Jesus would have only been a man, Jesus could not have saved us. In fact, if Jesus was only a man, He would need a Savior Himself. But to be our Savior, He needed to be from God, and He needed to be God. And as Isaiah 7, 14 promised, He would be born of a virgin. Jesus was miraculously conceived by the Holy Spirit in the womb of Mary. And Jesus went through the stages of development just like any other baby does. Jesus wasn't dropped from the sky at the age of 30 years old. Jesus was born like us. But there is one major difference. He was from God. His Father was God. And because God was perfect, He was born perfect. He was born without a sin nature. So why are we not born perfect? Because our fathers were not perfect, and their fathers were not perfect, and their fathers were not perfect. There's only been one perfect human being, and that is the person of Jesus Christ. And Jesus is Emmanuel. Jesus is God with us. And because God is with us, we can have joy. 1 Peter 1, 8 and 9 explains what this joy is. Let me turn to 1 Peter 1, 8 and 9. Peter says this, You love him, talking about Jesus, though you've not seen him. And though not seeing him now, you believe in him and rejoice with inexpressible and glorious joy because you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Peter called it an expressible joy, a glorious joy. And that is part of the inheritance we receive in Christ. The joy we have in Christ is inexpressible because it is so profound that we cannot put it into words. It it makes us speechless. It's overwhelming joy. It is beyond all human efforts to understand and comprehend and explain. He also said that the joy of God is full of glory. And when Peter says full of glory, he's referring to the glory that is to come that awaits us when we spend eternity in the presence of God. And Peter is saying that even though we do not see Jesus on this earth, Because of Jesus being God with us, we are able to experience something in advance of the indescribable joy and the glory to come. And I want you to remind you that joy is part of the fruit of the Spirit. And if joy is part of the fruit of the Spirit, that means joy is from God. And because God is the source of Jesus and joy is from God, Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, is our source of joy. Jesus is the Savior. Jesus is the Lord. Jesus is the Christ. He is the one sent from God to bring joy to the world. And this is the wonder of Christmas. Emmanuel, God with us, so we can have joy in us. Apart from Jesus, we can't have joy in us. 
The third thing I want to say is Jesus brings us good news of great joy because he's greater than our circumstances. He's greater than our circumstances. Jesus is derived from the ancient Greek form of the Hebrew and Aramaic name, Yeshua. Yeshua means the one who saves. It means Savior. And because Jesus is the one who saves, we should rejoice because Jesus is greater than our sin. Think about where the shepherds were when the angel appeared to them. The scripture says they were under the night sky. They were watching their flocks by night. They were minding their own business. They were tending their sheep when all of a sudden the sky lit up and an angel appeared. And what happened to the shepherds was enough to scare anyone. Can you imagine an angel appearing in your bedroom, waking you up in the middle of the night and your, your room turned, goes completely from darkness to light and there's an angel standing there in front of you? That would scare any of us. Because what we need to understand that angels aren't the pretty little creatures that we see depicted in paintings and in Christmas stories. The Bible describes angels as warriors. So the shepherds being in darkness is a depiction of the human race being in the darkness of sin. And the only one who can change our circumstance the only one who can bring us from the darkness of sin into the light of salvation is Jesus Christ. He is the only one who can call us out of darkness into his marvelous light. He is the only one who can deliver us from our sins and from death. That's why Jesus said, I am the light. Because Jesus is greater than our sin and he came to do what his name says he would do. We should rejoice. And you will not know joy until you know Jesus as your Savior. The second circumstance in our lives in which Jesus is greater is not only our sin, but Jesus is greater than our suffering. Philippians 3.1, Paul said, Rejoice in the Lord. Philippians 4.4, Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord always. He says, Again, I say rejoice as a follower of Christ. We should always show joy. We should always rejoice in the Lord. And our joy should never change because Jesus never changes. And remember, there is a difference between happiness and joy. Happiness is temporary. Joy is eternal. Happiness is a feeling or emotion. Joy is an attitude. Happiness is external and depends on our circumstances which do change. But joy is internal, and it depends on Jesus who never changes. And because Jesus never changes, our joy should never change, even though our circumstances do. You know, when things are going well, it's easy to praise God. It's easy to worship God. It's easy to spend time with God. It's easy to have joy. But when the tide of life turns and you encounter tumultuous water, What happens to your joy then? Notice I didn't say happiness because as a believer, there will be times that you will not be happy. Waiting in long lines at the store does not make you happy. The store is out of stock of that gift that you went there for doesn't make you happy. Being stuck in holiday traffic does not make you happy. 
you're diagnosed with a disease, it doesn't make you happy. When you lose your job, it doesn't make you happy. When you experience the loss of a loved one, it doesn't make you happy. But here's the neat thing about the Christian life. Even in times of a happiness, you can still have joy because you have Jesus. And remember, Paul didn't say rejoice in the Lord when things are going great. Paul didn't say rejoice in the Lord when you feel like it. He said rejoice in the Lord always, regardless of what is happening in your life. Rejoice in the Lord all times, no exceptions. And we need to understand that our circumstances do not determine our joy. Christ does. And because Jesus never changes, our joy should never change. I think of James chapter 1, verse 2. It says, Count it pure joy, my brothers, when you encounter various trials. James said, count it joy when you go through trials. Why would James say, count it joy when you go through the tough times? James is saying that God's joy is always at work in our lives, even when we go through the difficult times. One commentator said this, biblical joy produces a deep confidence in the future that is based on trust in God's purpose and power. So our joy shows that we have a deep confidence in the future that God is going to take care of us, that he knows what's best for us because we trust in his purpose and his power. Romans 12, 12, Paul says, Rejoice in our confident hope. What is our confident hope? It's Jesus. He says, Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. This is why we can have joy in the face of pain in the face of suffering and even have joy in the face of death knowing that God is in control of everything and everything is for his good or for our good and for his glory so no matter how bad things get no matter how bad we may feel or how bad things look we can experience joy because we have Jesus and he came to restore our joy As Nehemiah says, that the joy of the Lord is our strength. The joy of the Lord is what fuels us. The joy of the Lord is what sustains us. Lewis Smedes in his book, How Can It All Be Right When Everything Is All Wrong? He writes this. He says, you and I were created for joy in Christ Jesus. And if we miss it, we miss the reason of our existence. The reason Jesus Christ lived and died on earth was to restore us to the joy we have lost. And here's something you need to understand. Even if you have Jesus and his joy is your strength, if you're not careful, you can lose your joy. Satan can steal your your joy. Satan can't steal your salvation. Nothing can steal your salvation because Scripture says you've been sealed by the Spirit and what God seals can't be touched. And so even though Satan can't steal your salvation, he can steal your joy. Satan can cause you to lose your joy. He can cause you to doubt the faithfulness of God and and the love of God when you're overwhelmed and beaten down by the circumstances of life. 
And if we're not careful, Satan can cause us to take our eyes off Christ. And I promise you, when we take our eyes off Christ, our joy in Christ is going to diminish. If you want to keep your focus on Jesus by keeping your heart open to Him, you want to sustain your joy by spending time with Him, by being in His Word, and aligning your thinking in your ways with His way. One of my favorite Christmas programs is Charlie Brown Christmas. And the peanut gang, as they're preparing for a Christmas play, everyone gets mad at Charlie Brown because he brings in this pitiful-looking Christmas tree. And And Charlie Brown is dejected, and he says this. He says, everything I do turns into a disaster. I guess I don't know what Christmas is all about. And he cries out, is there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about? Linus steps up and says, Sure, Charlie Brown, I can tell you what Christmas is all about. And Linus comes to the center of the stage, and he proceeds to read the Christmas story from Luke chapter 2, and the story of the angel appearing before the shepherds to announce the birth of Jesus, which is the message of great joy. This morning, you may be like Charlie Brown. You're dejected. You're discouraged. You're beaten down. You're wondering what life or the Christmas season is all about. Or maybe you know someone who is like Charlie Brown. And I want to tell you this morning that you need to know that Jesus, God with us, has come to bring you joy. He's come to restore your joy. And no matter what you're going through, no matter what you're facing, He is your great joy because He is greater than any circumstance you or I will face the fourth thing I want to say is Jesus is our good news of great joy because he offers us a great choice verse 11 the angel says I went back up to the end of verse 10 he says the angel says I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all people today a savior who is Messiah the Lord was born for you in the city of David The angel says, unto you is born in the city of David. To whom was the angel speaking these words? The angel was speaking these words to the shepherd. This Christ, this promised Messiah, this Savior of the world, whom the shepherds had heard about from the prophets had been born. And God had chosen these shepherds to be the first ones to know about the birth of Jesus. Now the traditional belief is that these shepherds were poor that these shepherds were social outcasts, that these shepherds tended sheep in the wilderness, and that God told them first about the birth of Jesus to show that Jesus came for the outcast of society. And we do know that Jesus came for the least of these. However, scholars believe these shepherds were, these particular shepherds were not social outcasts. These shepherds were not ordinary shepherds of ordinary sheep. According to the Mishnah, which is a collection of documents recording oral traditioning governing the lives of Jewish people during the period of the Pharisees and gave insight on how people lived during the time of Jesus. Sheep were to be raised in the wilderness except for those needed for temple sacrifices. And what's interesting is that Jerusalem and Bethlehem And the fields surrounding Jerusalem and Bethlehem were not in the wilderness where ordinary flocks were kept. 
these shepherds that the angel spoke to were higher up the social ladder and they had the unique job of fulfilling temple duties that only priests could perform temple priests these shepherds were temple priests chosen for the specific task of tending temple sheep they had the responsibility of raising lambs intended to be sacrificed in the temple for Passover they had an incredible job and making these sure that these lambs that were raised were without blemish. And by the way, the fields in which these lambs were raised were not far from Golgotha where Jesus, the Passover lamb, the lamb who take, came to take away the sins of the world, was crucified. Was this a coincidence? I don't think so. I think this was a wave for God to show us who Jesus was and why he came. I think these shepherds knew that when the birth of Jesus was announced to them that the animal sacrifices would soon be no longer needed as Jesus was going to be the perfect and the ultimate sacrifice for sin and once for all. And the appearing of the angel to the shepherds to announce the birth of Jesus was, was also prophetic in another way. The statement that Jesus was not only the Lamb of God, it was a statement that Jesus is also the Good Shepherd who came to lay down His life for all of us. It's amazing to me that think that these shepherds would be visited by an angel from God. These shepherds who were raising sheep to be temple sacrifices. And yet Jesus was going to be the perfect sacrifice. And Jesus was the good shepherd who came to lay down his life for us. It's incredible the meanings and the foreshadowing that happens in the word of God. You see, and these shepherds had a choice. After the angel appeared to them, these shepherds, they could have kept going on with their lives. They could have kept watching their sheep. Or they could go to Bethlehem and find the baby Jesus, just like the angels said. And after the angels left them, verse, two, verse 15 of chapter 2 tells us what they did. It says, when the angels had left them and returned to the heavens, the shepherds said to one another, let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. They hurried off and found both Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the feeding trough. After the angels left and they chose to go to Bethlehem, they chose to see what God through the angel had revealed to them. They chose to go see what God had made known to them. And they did not waste any time. It says they left in a hurry. There was urgency in their response. They, God was at work. They wanted to be a part of it. They did not want to miss it. They did not have time to get sheep sitters to go to Bethlehem. They left their sheep in the fields and went as the angel had told them they needed to do. They stepped out in faith. And when they got to Bethlehem, where Mary and Joseph were, what the shepherds saw is exactly what God promised. The sign that they had been given. They found what they were looking for. And what was that sign? Verse 11 of chapter 2, the, or verse 12, the angel told them, This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in cloth and lying in a manger and what happened when they got to Bethlehem they found Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus lying in a manger Jesus wrapped in swaddling clothes 
Now these, there are two thoughts on what these clothes were. Some think they were infant clothes, that, that these were not rags, that they were borrowed from someone who was wealthy, indicating that Jesus was royalty. But many the theologians believe that the cloth that Jesus was swaddled with were the same type of cloths that would be used in the temple to keep the lambs clean and free from blemishes as they prepared those lambs for the ceremonial sacrifices. And you say, where would Mary and Joseph get temple cloths? Remember Zechariah, who was a priest in the temple, whose wife Elizabeth was Mary's cousin? That's probably where Mary and Joseph got the temple cloths to wrap the baby Jesus in. And not only did the shepherds hurry to Bethlehem, but they did not keep silent but what they had seen or experienced. Verse 17 and 18, after seeing them, they reported the message they were told about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherd said to them. And then verse 20, it says, the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they seen and heard, just as they had been told. The shepherds, they shared all that they had seen and experienced and heard about the baby. They told others about what they had seen. They had been called the first evangelists. They were overjoyed as they were the first witnesses of the birth of the Messiah that had been promised and prophesied about hundreds of years before what they had been waiting for, what they had been told about had come to fruition. And they were the first ones to see it. The shepherds to whom the angel appeared and for whom Jesus came, they had a significant choice to make. They could choose to go on life as usual or they could choose to seek Jesus. These shepherds chose to seek Jesus. And because these shepherds sought Jesus, and found Jesus, they found joy. If these shepherds would not have chosen to go and see Jesus, they would have missed out on the most significant event in the history of the world. If they would have chosen not to go see Jesus, their lives would not have been changed. And this news was not just for the shepherds. The angel made it very clear that when he first appeared to the shepherds that it was for all people. He said, good news of great joy for all people. And in your life, like the shepherds, you have a choice to make when it comes to Jesus. You have the choice of salvation. You can choose to seek him and give your life to him or you can go on with your life as usual. Yes, the good news. Yes, the gospel is inclusive. Uh, it is for all people, but it's also exclusive. It's only for those who choose to believe in Jesus. And I will tell you this. If you never seek Jesus and you never give your life to him, your life will never be changed and you will never know joy. No matter what you do, you can't change your life. Only Jesus can. And yes, if you don't have Jesus, you can be happy when things go well. What happens when things go south? Your happiness will fade because it's based on circumstances. And until you know Jesus, you will never experience the joy that only comes from knowing Him. 
You can't have joy in your life if you don't have Jesus in your life. N-O Jesus means N-O joy. Jesus is the key that unlocks the door to joy. And to find Jesus is to find joy. And if you have given your life to Jesus, you have two choices to make. You have a choice in your suffering. I spoke about this in the last one. I just want to make a couple more comments about this. You have a choice to have joy when life gets tough. You can choose to focus on your circumstances. Or you can choose to focus on Christ. I think of Mary in Luke 1, 46. She says, my soul glorifies and my spirit rejoices in the Lord. Mary in her difficult circumstances, a teenage, young teenage girl who was not married and, and became pregnant with Jesus, she chose joy. She embraced the difficult role for which God had chosen her. In the same way, we can choose joy. In the same way, we can rejoice by embracing the wonder of Christmas, the miracle of God with us, Jesus. And we can allow Him to use the situations in our lives to work in us and through us. And because you have Jesus, because you have Emmanuel, because God is with you, you can have joy and tears of sadness at the same time. And you can rejoice and praise Him at all times. And like the shepherds, we should praise Him and give glory to Him regardless of what is happening in our lives. You know, I've been to several funerals lately. And yes, there was sadness. But you know what else I heard? I heard laughter. I heard celebration. Why? Because God was present. It is only the joy of Jesus that can turn our mourning into laughter and our sorrow into joy. And finally, as a believer, you have a choice in sharing. You see, after the shepherds saw Jesus, they couldn't contain their excitement. They couldn't keep this good news to themselves. And, and they told everybody they saw. They told everybody they ran into what they had seen and experienced and heard. They could not keep the news to themselves. Last week, one of the students was getting baptized. I heard was doing a little dance by the gym. And on the way to the sanctuary, he he chanted, he said, let's go. His mom looked at him kind of funny, like, what's wrong with you? He said, Mom, I'm excited to get baptized. How cool is that? You see, like the shepherds, we should be so excited about Jesus that people look at us like we're crazy. You know, we like to get crazy and excited about a lot of other things. Why not get excited about Jesus, the only one who can bring us joy? You know, we should be willing to share the good news of Jesus, to testify of the goodness of God in our lives, desiring for everyone to have the same joy that we have that only comes from knowing Him. You know, I mentioned a Charlie Brown Christmas earlier when the network executives were deciding whether or not to run the program. They objected to it. They told Charles Schultz, you can't read long passages of the King James Version on broadcast TV. You'll lose your audience. Charles Schultz did not back down. He said, if we don't tell the Christmas story, who will? The scene stayed in. It turned out the network executives were completely wrong. After the first program aired, critics praised Linus's reading of Scripture, calling it the dramatic highlight of the season. You see, Charles Schultz is right. 
if we don't tell the Christmas story, who will? What better time to talk about Jesus than at Christmas? Because what is Christmas was all about? It's about Christ. You can't have Christ without Christmas. You just have must. Who wants to celebrate must? We want to celebrate Christmas. And let's keep the joy of Christmas to ourselves. Let's share it with others like the shepherds did. You know, when Jesus invaded the world to be the Savior of the world, Jesus brought joy to the world. This is the good news of great joy. This is what Christmas is all about. And this Christmas, don't miss the main attraction. Reflect on Jesus being the wonder of Christmas, of Jesus being our great joy. And like Mary, may we magnify the Lord. May we rejoice in God our Savior. And as we go through this Christmas season, because of what God did for us in sending Jesus, may we loudly and boldly proclaim Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Joy to the earth, our Savior reigns. Let's pray. Father, we just come before you today and just thank you for your word and thank you for your truth. And Father, I thank you this morning that we can know joy because we know Jesus. Father, without Jesus, we have no joy. And Father, I thank you that Jesus is the good news of great joy because he was the fulfillment of all those promises in the Old Testament. For no one could fulfill them except Christ. I thank you that Jesus is our good news of great joy because he came from you. He was God, and he is God. Father, he became like one of us, willing to give his life for us so we could have life. Father, may we understand that we can have joy because Jesus is greater than our sin. Jesus is the only solution to our salvation. He's greater than our suffering. And Father, I pray that we would be like the shepherds. Lord, that we would choose Jesus. We would choose joy. And Father, if there's someone here today who's never made that decision to, to know Jesus, I pray this morning they would say, I want to have joy in my life. I want to give my life to Christ. Lord, what a travesty for someone to go through this Christmas season without knowing the joy of Christmas, Jesus. Father, there's someone here this morning who needs to know you. I pray they would come to this altar and say, I want to give my life to Christ. I want to have joy in my life. And Father, for those of us who've made that decision to receive you, we've got choices to make in our lives when it comes to joy. God, there may be people here today who are struggling with life, struggling with circumstances. They feel overwhelmed and beaten down by life. God, may they choose joy in the midst of their circumstances, God. And God, may we always choose to rejoice in you because you never change and you are the source of our joy. And Father, as we go through this Christmas season, may we desire to share Jesus. Lord, we want to celebrate Christmas. And one of the greatest ways we can celebrate Christmas is to tell others about Jesus and what he's done for us. And may our desire be, Father, for others to know and to have the same joy that we have because we have Jesus. Father, just work in hearts and lives this morning. 
Father, I just pray that people would respond in obedience to you. And God, we just ask all these things in your name.